the the kind of this idea of the vampire gentleman is that he is supposed to be alluring because you want to be corrupted by him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, and obviously for a lot of people in the modern era, the answer is like, why, yes, I would. Thank yes, you. I would like to be. <laughs> I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, you are listening to episode 24 of Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. And you are listening to the second take of this intro portion because Zencaster screwed us. So (laughs) sorry if we are less charming for the first 15 minutes. This week, we are joined by cultural anthropologist Dr. Holly Walters to talk about vampires in modern-day pop culture. Holly, can you take a second to introduce yourself to our audience and then um, let us know what your favorite pop culture vampire is? Sure. So my name is Holly Walters. I'm Associate Cultural Anthropologist at Wellesley College. And my usual caveat to this intro is I actually started as a medieval historian. Um, and that's where I got interested in things like vampires, werewolves, zombies, so on and so forth. And now, however, I work in the anthropology of religion, where I study sacred fossil ammonites in South Asia. Yay! Yes, and the sacred fossil ammonite stuff is also so cool. Um, and wh- sorry, what are those called again? They're called shalagram stones. Shalagram stones, yes. So you should definitely Google them uh, and definitely look up Holly's work on that. And she's done an interview with the Archaeological Fantasy podcast on them, which was really great. And yes, I am a geologist. And like I said before, I was like... I know I'm not supposed to have one, but I really want one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, remember, it's not the having one that's the problem. It's the breaking one that's the problem. Well, okay. I had gotten the impression that, like, if you weren't a practitioner of that religion, that you weren't even supposed to have them. But it was also like you weren't supposed to sell them as well, right? So that was, like, part of the problem. Uh, There's a, a spiritual ban on buying and selling. Got it. Oh, okay. So you can have one. So I can have one. I just have to go and find it. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess we're taking a trip to the Himalayas. (laughs) Yeah, time to go to Nepal. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, And we were very excited to find out that Holly got her bachelor's from UW-Madison because that is where I did my PhD and where Paige currently lives. If you, I guess, feel like stalking her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, 
love Madison. So we're always very excited to find um, another person with a connection to Wisconsin and the Midwest. Holly, where did you grow up originally? I'm actually originally from rural Minnesota. Um, oh, I grew okay. up in a small town called Hutchinson, which is about 60 miles west of the Twin Cities. Okay. okay. Awesome. Yeah. So you are, yeah, fellow fellow Midwesterner, which is always, always good. We're I a... am a transplant indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Wellesley is on in Massachusetts, right? Yeah, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it was East Coast, but I don't know. Um, (laughs) Okay. And you have a book chapter coming out on vampires, which is called Vampires as Moral Panics? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And that is in uh, Rebecca's upcoming book, which I think by the time this is released will be out. But can you remind us of the the title of that and um, just tell us a little bit about that that book chapter? Yeah. Um, so the book is called Monstrous Males, Fatal Females. It comes out from Lexington Books, I want to say in about a month, maybe. Um, so it should be out actually reasonably shortly. <laughs> my, my chapter is called Vampires is Moral Panics. And it started actually a couple of years ago, actually more than a couple of years ago, where I had attended this seminar um, where the scholar in question was talking about vampires over time. So talking about this is what vampires were like back in the Greco-Roman world, and here's what medieval vampires were like, and sort of so on and so forth but continually emphasized how different they were, that they were these really, really different figures and they did these different things. Mm -hmm. But the more I listened, I kept kind of thinking like, you know, are they though? Like, Mm -hmm. really? Like, are they as different as we think they are? Yeah. So I ended ended up sort of going back and thinking about it more. And because I'm an anthropologist, really, I started thinking about it like, okay, what do vampires do for us? Like, what what do they mean? Mm-hmm. What kind of meanings do they have? What kind of work do they do? And that was actually the start of this chapter, um, looking at vampires as kinds of cultural symbols that actually don't change that much over time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we got to uh, look at a copy of that chapter. It's Really great. So had you, and sorry if you already said this, but had you written other pieces on vampires uh, before this one? Not specifically, no. Okay. Um, I mean, I had written things about folklore and about the way in which folkloric figures work and symbols and semiotics, but I mm-hmm. hadn't actually tackled vampires up until this chapter. Okay. okay. Yeah. And we won't forget this time around to ask you what your favorite pop culture vampire is. Right. Um, <laughs> which you didn't even know. I so, know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this question is really, really hard for me, <laughs> mostly because I've written this chapter and because I do love vampires in general. Right now, I would I would honestly have to go with the character of Adam from Only Lovers Left Alive. Which uh, I only found out was a thing last night. So I guess <laughs> I'm going to have to... <laughs> I'm going to have to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah, I've also never seen it. Which now I just feel like I've, you know, let, it, let Holly down. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's okay because apparently we're talking about the trashy ones. So <laughs> this one's actually a good vampire movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this this discussion apparently, yeah, Paige and I know the most about the trashier side of fictional vampires. So. I know most about the trashier side of most things. Just just <laughs> so we're clear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Have, I don't have the world's um, best taste in in television. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, admittedly, Paige and her friend Sarah have sucked me into a weekly Bachelor watch party on Hulu, where we watch an episode of The Bachelor and basically just like talk shit in the chat the whole time. <laughs> so- <laughs> Well, as long as you don't make me watch Twilight again, I, I'm not going to come. <laughs> oh, we didn't tell you that that was part of agreeing to do this. Would you have to sit through the entire Twilight? Movie? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, the not recording again. portion is only like 45 minutes to an hour, but then we expect you to stick <laughs> around to watch the movie with us. <laughs> the rest of it is all Twilight. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you want to know what my next article is going to be like if you do that. <laughs> Why Twilight is the worst. <laughs> Dedicated to Megan and Paige. <laughs> um, okay, but before we talk about Twilight, and this is really bad. We have, like, guests on and, like, yeah, like... <laughs> Poor Rebecca, we made her talk about zombie poop, so that was unfortunate for her. Um, Sarah and Karen had to talk about cannibalism a lot, and like now poor Holly's on here, and like, let's talk a lot about Twilight. Um, (laughs) She'd probably rather talk about cannibalism. (laughs) I was going to say, can I just talk about the zombie poop instead? It's not all Twilight. I promise, you guys. I promise. Um, Okay. But, Paige, did anything spooky happen to you uh, since we recorded last? So, no. Nothing spooky happened. But And I don't know if you want to take this over. You can, Megan. But we, in the original recording, talked about um, the the famous fight that my husband and I have got, got, had gotten into about Twilight. Yes. Um, our family has some some family vampire folklore (laughs) (laughs) yeah i figured we could use this as a quick chance to recap that story so if you want to take it megan go for Uh, it i do so (laughs) this was even though it's your fight uh but this was Paige's high school graduation party my husband and i had uh driven into driven into town uh for this and i think it was like the evening after the party we're all hanging out and the last twilight movie had just come out and so we were all gonna go see it in the theaters because i hadn't had a chance to yet and (laughs) pages pages now husband elliot like just downright refused to go like he would not be a good sport about it he just would not go and it like made them get into this massive fight that like we all still remember and talk about and it was just now in hindsight like the funniest thing but like was probably the biggest fight between the two of them that like any of us have ever witnessed (laughs) (laughs) so 
<laughs> yeah. I would say like our, what would you say? Okay. I'll ask you what you think our comparable one was, but like my guess was like Steven and I, our comparable one would be the Mad Gab. And Steven, Absolutely. Right? Mad Gab. Yeah. No, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> Holly, the... Mad Gab incident is where my husband and I are no longer allowed to play that game against each other anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> because each of us was getting annoyed with the other one for feeling like they were like breaking the rules and coaching their partner too much. And yeah, it ended up with me calling him an asshole and like leaving the room <laughs> in front of everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> wasn't over twilight (laughs) (laughs) you heard it here first the vampire expert says that Paige's fight was worse (laughs) well what i was gonna add to that is you can go ahead and tell him that i wouldn't have gone either (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i actually work on this stuff (laughs) um Oh man. Jeez. Oh, uh okay. So Harley, you can tell us again about your something spooky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously not a whole lot spooky happens because we're all in a pandemic and we don't go anywhere and we don't do anything. Right. <laughs> so it's pretty limited. Um, I think the closest thing we probably have here is uh so my husband and I live in a very old house. Uh it's about 105, 110 years old. And of course, like old houses, it makes noise and falls apart and things break and all of that sort of fun stuff, Mm -hmm. which is just affectionately referred to as the house ghost. (laughs) So house ghost, you know, occasionally knocks shutters off and things fall off the walls or the stairs just don't work anymore. I'm sorry, the stairs don't work? Sometimes they creak and sometimes they don't. And other times the attic makes noise. And I was trying to figure out, like, how do stairs stop working? <laughs> but other than that, that's about as spooky as it gets around here. Um, yeah. You yeah. just have to sort of pay attention that anytime you say house ghost, like, something will happen. So. Okay. So now we've made you say it, like, a bunch of times. So potentially it's right, going to so be an exciting for, like, weekend. Right, so waiting for plaster to fall in or you know, the rug to start on fire. <laughs> <laughs> we must have, like, a uh, a plumbing ghost that follows us around because both houses that I've owned now have had remarkably bad plumbing issues, well, which is not great. It's probably the same know. plumbing ghost that followed uh, you guys to our wedding and yeah it's bachelor party so it's you you guys are the problem your original i mean your parents house in in sylvania like had pretty bad plumbing as well yeah we have a plumbing ghost we're cursed (laughs) well in that case i think technically it's a plumbing poltergeist (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) yeah officially uh greg the ghost is a poltergeist (laughs) gregory Anyway, that's a story for another time. All right. Well, we can talk about vampires and kudos to us. We made it to the same point where we realized that we were not actually recording um, in 16 minutes instead of 18 minutes. So there we go. <laughs> Good for <Yay>. us. <laughs> All righty. Well, if you haven't listened to our 
uh, first episode on vampires, which was episode 11. You should go check that one out. Uh, And that episode, we talked more about possible scientific explanations for vampire stories, which were essentially people misunderstanding natural decomposition of bodies and various illnesses. But we didn't really say too much about the folklore. So that's really what we want to focus more on this episode. Yes. And Holly, you covered... I guess sort of a couple different, uh, or at least briefly covered a couple different origins of vampire stories in your book chapter. But one of the original ones you said was the succubus and incubus myths from ancient Greece, right? Right. So one of the things that I at least tried as much as I could in this chapter was to point out that The Greco-Roman understanding of the vampire, um, particularly the incubus and the succubus, were quite different than what happens to the vampire in the Euro-American world much later. Mm -hmm. But this really is kind of the first recognizable moment we have of the night-dwelling, blood-drinking spirit Mm -hmm. that roams around, drains the essence of the living, and continues on. Yeah. And I guess, do we have any concept of like like where those stories might have come from like is there any like like real life situation that those or is it or is it yeah I mean or is it just like today where it's like they saw it as more fiction or like did they actually believe that there was like succubus and succubi incubi I have no idea what the plural is no that's right yeah okay um succubi and incubi like roaming around and drinking people's blood that's a hard call to make um i mean we can't really say what did they really believe was happening because Mm -hmm. we can't ask them obviously yeah (laughs) we we generally have a sense i would say that it was probably a combination of things they may have gotten stories from elsewhere that had similar aspects to them Uh, we Mm -hmm. definitely know that there were vampiric figures as far as ancient china Um, and other areas of Asia Minor. So it wasn't as though they necessarily lived in a vacuum at the time, Mm -hmm. but it could also have been related to their own sense of fear of evil, fear of the night, fear of disease, probably. Mm -hmm. There are, I, I think there are some scholars who make arguments that they're related to issues of sleep paralysis and the experience of sleep paralysis. Okay. Um, could also have been good old fashioned hallucination. (laughs) yeah (laughs) awesome yeah that's 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 awesome i think the the first time we did a vampire episode we like Paige said focused more on like medical explanations for like why people might you know think they were vampires and the fact that you know there was a time where people were like staking corpses and stuff to make sure that they weren't rising back up and that they were digging up bodies and being like oh they had blood around their mouth so like clearly they're rising up and drinking people's blood you know after they've died and it's like "Mm, no that's just what (laughs) what corpses do so other than that like there hasn't I feel like there hasn't been too much time where people like actually thought that there were vampires like they've always sort of just been folklore characters so i don't know i I think the interesting (laughs) part of the greek and roman versions is they're not human so the the greek and roman vampire is really not a vampire that's about the risen dead that's something that's not gonna come into vogue until the middle ages okay so 
I, I think there really is a shift here symbolically that the Greek and Roman vampire is, I think, more about a kind of spiritual night terror. It's oh. not yet a fear of the dead or plague or the risen dead. And, it, yeah. and they're not related to decomposition. Um, they, they were never alive in this okay. case. Maybe more terrifying. <laughs> I tend to put it as these are monstrous vampires. Like these are really monsters. Okay. Uh, they're not human. They're not related to humanity. They're something else at this point. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Scary. And I'm sorry, when did you say that that, sh like, at what point does that shift? It's, we're not really going to start seeing the vampire of the risen dead until Europe. So that's going to come in, in at about probably the seven or eight hundreds at this point. Okay. okay. And isn't some of that, like, related to the rise of Christianity or something? Like, I forget what the... <laughs> <laughs> why sorry we're gonna <laughs> there are vampire myths before then okay um, and that's part of the argument again that i i make mm -hmm. is that the vampire of the old world sort of the pagan vampire is mm. very much a monstrous figure it's mm -hmm. it's not a corpse it's not human mm -hmm. it's not going to be until we start seeing shifts in eastern and western europe in and about coming into the dark ages uh where we start okay. seeing it's now the buried dead which are yeah. endangering and those have to do with purity laws so okay. the vampire in this case is an impure figure oh okay yeah well and i would assume some of that too like kicks up with you know fear of of plague and stuff like that at some point because like you could catch it from dead bodies and stuff so not until the 1300s though okay um that's kind of again like the the early vampire is a really interesting figure because yeah. it looks so different than what the modern vampire looks like now which is really a product mm -hmm. of the victorian age mm -hmm. but these these older vampires and this is what i argue in the chapter is that these these older pre-Christian vampires are really representative of the things that societies fear about themselves. That's why I call it vampires moral panic. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So in these cases, people who could become vampires were someone who died a virgin, um, someone who <laughs> died at birth, someone who died deformed or with a call over their face, someone oh, who died as a criminal or a murderer. So it was really something that was focused on a kind of taint of evil. Yeah. Although like dying a virgin doesn't really seem like <laughs> makes you well, tainted. Just... There, there's some seriously gendered <laughs> issues going on with yeah. a lot of vampires, uh, which is true today. Just as much yeah. as it was true back then. Um, mostly yes. what they looked at it as an unmarried girl who died a virgin would come back because she had been robbed of her rightful place in society. Oh, dear. Fucking men. Like, get out of here. <laughs> there, I think I even recount one of the early Irish versions of the story, which was if a girl did die unmarried, she would be married post-mortem. So she would be married to a young man in the village who would therefore be considered a widower so that she would not return as the vampire. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. 
Yeah, yeah if you ever wanted to have a lovely corpse wedding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine being the poor. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's obviously. Imagine being the poor guy who has to marry the dead. Uh, imagine being that poor guy's next wife. Like, oh my. Oh well, yeah, I mean that's it's sad for everybody in this situation. But like, here's your dead wife. It's not. Wow. It's not great. That's sad though. I mean, that's sad for everybody. Like, yeah. Oh. oh I but don't you know. can really see, I think, how certain fears about evil and taint and corruption mm-hmm. were at play even mm-hmm. as far back as these early versions of the vampire story. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, that's, so that's, yeah, that's like ancient vampires. And today we're going to focus more on pop culture vampires, possibly to Holly's dismay. But <laughs> <laughs> we can we can skip forward a little bit uh, and skip forward to Dracula, who, as far as I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, was sort of the the birth of like the modern vampire or like of, you know, what we think of the vamp as the vampire today. Like everybody knows who Dracula is. And I did want to bring up the, the tidbit that you had in your chapter that like possibly stoker was influenced by stories of uh, about vlad the impaler who apparently like drank the blood of his executed enemies so (laughs) yikes um (laughs) but (laughs) in in his creation of dracula and that like drac dracul or dracul is like means dragon in romanian and his family crest was like order of the dragon. So it's possibly where the name comes from. So yeah. But you said that that's, you know, potentially not correct. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's, I mean, the thing to kind of try and parse out is there's Dracula, the literary and media character. And then there's Vlad the third, who's the Romanian warlord that Stoker may or may not have been referencing. Most of what I focus on in the chapter is Dracula as the kind of progenitor of the modern literary media vampire, Um, Mm -hmm. that he becomes the iconic figure by which all the vampires after him are compared to, more or less. Right. Whether or not Bram Stoker based his character of Dracula on the real 15th century Romanian warlord, Vlad III, is debatable, Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of depends on what historian you ask. But it's clear that he knew the name, um, Mm -hmm. that he had some exposure to the history of the region, uh, as he was clearly drawing from it. Mm -hmm. And the character that he builds is somewhat loosely based on Vlad Dracula. There's also his father, Vlad Dracul. So there are actually two different people by Mm. that name. (laughs) But uh, Dracul and Dracula, uh, meaning son of the dragon, and the order of the dragon, which was his his family crest. Oh, okay. And he uh, did, in fact, impale people as a form of basically psychological warfare. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> hence the the sort of blood drinking and impaling that Vlad the Third was was involved in wasn't so much vampiric so much as it was about his war with the Ottoman Turks. Yes. Yeah. And like, 
yeah medieval torture is like a whole other thing but (laughs) but it certainly (laughs) did give bram stoker a lot to work with um when he was creating the character of dracula yeah and so what's most likely is that stoker was blending sort of some of the superficial historical facts he knew about Vlad the Third with Icelandic and Teutonic folklore about oh, vampires. Okay. Okay. Got it. And then that I guess in in um popular culture, let the right one in is Swedish? Yes. Yes. Okay. So that okay. So there's gotta be some like potentially there's some connection to like folklore and in that story as well okay (laughs) iceland it makes sense to like have you know a bunch of stories about creatures roaming around in the night because there were like long periods of the year where it would just be dark all the time so yeah right iceland's far enough north for that yes yeah um and if you watch a lot of like international vampire movies Uh you will see aspects of their particular folklores in those stories which is a lot of fun yeah okay well amazing (laughs) okay but so dracula though is comes out in 1897 yes Yes? okay which is considered victorian here's the thing i don't know anything about time period (laughs) it it is it's it's sort of late victorian yeah, um, in its particular time period. Okay, but that's like their jam, right? Like they're all into like seances and like ghost stories and and sort of like yeah, gothic horror kind of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty solidly a gothic horror kind of genre. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I guess um, can you uh, refresh our memory or as to like why that type of fiction, I guess, gets popular at that time? Again, I think that's debatable. Um, There's a lot of Victorian fiction that's like that. Yeah. Um, And what what I think at least a number of literary theorists have argued is that for the Victorians, that kind of shockingness of violence and sexuality, mm-hmm. which had been otherwise so far repressed, was something mm-hmm. that they could access in the written word because it okay. wasn't an image. Okay. So images were deemed, you know, obviously too salacious. You can't expose people to images of blood and death and nudity if yeah. you're a Victorian. But <laughs> yeah. you can write about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but they, I mean, they were super into, like, yeah, death and creepy stuff and, yeah. I mean, if you read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Frankenstein is sort of the same way. Yeah, it totally is. And we found out before that she had written that, like, after the eruption of Krakatoa, I think. So it was, like, a really dark stormy you know time period so it's like well perfect for sitting around and writing a creepy book Um, (laughs) a creepy monster story but it's also it it really also is kind of the advent of the human vampire okay not that vampires weren't human before then like they were corpses before then but yeah part of the the mega mega shift that bram stoker's dracula does is we're actually meant at this point to see the vampire as a person. Yeah. That we're supposed to identify with him and think about his motives and his experiences 
in a way that the vampires before him did not do. Yeah, and he has like a... Okay, would we say that Dracula is sort of... An, <laughs> full confession, I have not read Dracula, and I don't... <laughs> oh, no. I know, I know, okay? And I don't think that I've seen like any of the Dracula movies. Have you, Paige? I don't think I have either. So I don't know... We are failing you. I don't know if she's falling about down me. on the job here. <laughs> <laughs> what you're learning is that we don't know shit about vampires. <laughs> also, to be fair, when I was writing this edited chapter, one of the ways uh, that I went about doing it, the way that I wrote the second half uh-huh. of it, is I decided to do a full filmography. Ooh. So I took. 20 vampire movies from every decade and spent mm-hmm. six weeks straight watching them. Holy 20 moly. from every decade? I did. So I started oh. with Nosferatu in the 30s. Yeah. And went 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2010s, and did 20 vampire movies per decade. Wow. wow. Some of those you must have been like really dredging out the... <laughs> Oh, some of them were just trash. <laughs> it was just terrible. Yeah, because it was yeah. Um, okay, that's insane. Yeah, I've watched Twilight. <laughs> so my 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 fair warning is I have seen a lot of vampire a movies. lot of vampire movies. Holy shit. Um, okay, but like, would we say that Drac? Because he has like a lady friend, right? In the in the book slash in the story like would we say that he's the the first time that vampires are like are sexy (laughs) he's not the very first time but he's sort of the classic example okay um in particular that he kills a young woman by the name of lucy westenra who is this very sort of sweet innocent virginal kind of girl whom Mm -hmm. he turns into a very sexualized woman after she dies again getting into precisely what the victorian world feared most about Mm -hmm. women at the time Mm -hmm. Uh, where for the victorians he represented the dangerous foreigner coming into britain and corrupting women which is what he does in the book oh (laughs) and after she is killed Then the story essentially revolves around the relationship of Jonathan and Mina Harker, who are sort of our two central protagonist figures, as Dracula is hunting Mina Harker. Oh, okay. And of course, she is saved by her would-be husband, Jonathan Harker, Mm -hmm. and Abraham Van Helsing, our now iconic vampire hunter. Okay. Well, there you go. Paige, we should probably watch some Dracula. (laughs) There's a kilo for you in a nutshell. We have a lot of reading and movie watching to do. (laughs) I know. I should have done it for this. Uh, But, oh, well, here we are. So next step along our little vampire tour here uh, (laughs) (laughs) is before we go into, I guess, sort of the nuances of different pop culture vampires, which... Yeah, like, are just ones that Paige and I particularly <laughs> like. <laughs> the trashier ones. Um, we just wanted to to put out there, like, how do we... how 
we want to put out there like what would be the definition for a vampire so Paige, do you want to dive into that a little bit <laughs> oh yeah well and i think even when we talked about it on our first episode our our main definition was that they drain you know to be a vampire they have to have these fangs and they have to drain the vital essence which is typically blood um from animals I mean, that was like, that's kind of where our definition, I think, stopped really on our first episode. But there's there's also, also these other, you know, vampire characteristics. So they, you know, cheat death. They're immortal. Some of the things that they're, they have this superhuman strength and healing power that sun has some sort of effect on them. But, you know, these are all just characteristics. I don't know if there's like a specific definition that you typically would go by, Holly, or that you would, um, you know, say that every vampire should have these things from the literary point of view or even from the folkloric point of view generally it's even somewhat simpler than that it's the vampire is a figure who cheats death by surviving by draining the essence of the living okay that's pretty classically the vampire there (laughs) are certainly vampires that are not affected by sunlight um they even folklorically they're not affected by silver or crosses until the advent of the christian era so usually we tend to focus on that the vampire is a figure who is cheating death living an immortal life by draining life from the living and that i mean that makes sense because that's true for like every vampire story i've read where some (laughs) of the other stuff is not (laughs) um did you have something megan sorry oh i was gonna say and like at some point it switched to like oh they used to be human but not so much early on yeah um i mean it's hard i would say the modern definition is they were once human that's Mm -hmm. certainly been the case since obviously the dark ages the vampire before then wasn't but you know, most uh, most I think popular culture vampires would fit into the was once human or to some degree still is human. Mm-hmm. So then I guess I, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess like the superhuman strength and speed thing sort of makes sense, right? They're viewed as monsters. They have to have something. Um, so the speed and the strength makes <laughs> sense. But I, I've always found it kind of bizarre that like vampires are seen as monsters and, you know, they're known for sucking your blood yet like they've got this healing power because like what do they really need it for <laughs> right like they're immortal <laughs> but nothing's gonna kill them and they're going out and they're gonna like suck my blood ascent i mean i would think to kill me like wh- what's the benefit like why or why did this healing power thing ever come into play <laughs> honestly i think part of that has to do with vampires are being differentiated from zombies oh, so okay okay zombies break apart and rot and fall apart and lose fingers Uh and toes and arms and so on and so forth. The vampire, on the other hand, is supposed to represent a kind of stasis. Like, the vampire is unchanging. Yeah. So the healing probably has more to do with this idea that they always return to their principal form. They're always the same. Mm -hmm. I guess that makes sense. So then then they're... They're they're not changing. They're not dying essentially because they have this power, <laughs> more or less. <laughs> okay, yeah. And if they did eventually break and fall apart, then they're really not anything different than a zombie, right? Yes, yeah. That makes sense. Well, and some like some vampires are squishier than others, you know. Yes, <laughs> like the yeah. like the true blood ones are like 
Mm, they can get messed up, and but then like Twilight, they talk about them being more like stone, essentially. Right. So I don't think we um, like cut them. I don't know. <laughs> the other, the other like pretty common thing with vampires that like I don't, which like maybe this is a silly question, and this might be a really obvious one. I'm just not. I don't know, but I have, I've been wondering about is this whole, like, they have to be invited in. And that seems like pretty common for like other supernatural beings. And I don't know that yeah, I understand Yeah, do you have any why. idea of the origin of that? <laughs> yeah, actually, that is something that happens in Eastern Europe, um, in the Eastern European folkloric setup for vampires. Okay. In a lot of pre-Christian Europe, the hearth and the home is a sacred space. Um, So crossing the threshold of a home or crossing the threshold onto a hearth is a protected space, particularly among, that's why um, a lot of magic at the time, at this time is called hearth magic or hearth women um, (laughs) as a term for women who practice magic. Okay. So in these cases, vampires as corrupt unclean spirits cannot pass this threshold without an invitation because they are magically disinclined to do so huh okay (laughs) i feel like that gets okay and correct me if i'm wrong but am i wrong in saying that that sort of gets like (laughs) flipped around on people though like if it's like hearth magic and and that kind of stuff like is that where like the witch's cauldron and everything comes from yes okay (laughs) yes it does um, I mean, right. one of the comments that I make in my chapter is that stories of vampires and stories of witches, as far back as the early part of the Dark Ages, are deeply entwined. They, they in okay. fact, overlap. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like the Christians were just like, um, okay, well, <laughs> vampires are, like, you know, the devil, but, like, also... <laughs> Like the witches were like, or the people were like protecting themselves or whatever, like behind their door, like with their hearth being a sacred space. But like then Christians were also just like, well, fuck you guys too. Like you can't be a witch either. So <laughs> well, that once the vampire became associated with devilry in the post-Christian era, mm-hmm. so too do witches become associated yeah. with devilry. That yeah. now they become these two figures that are essentially allied with one another. Whereas prior to the movement of Christianity into these areas, the witch was almost certainly an adversary to the vampire. Yeah. And I mean, you still get some of that in, in pop culture because like in, um, in, I guess, <laughs> vampire containing universes that like <laughs> have both, <laughs> have both witches and vampires, like they're frequently pitted against each other like true blood for sure it's like that right Paige? yeah yeah true blood's like that and um discovery of witches discovery of witches is like that as well i, I guess true blood maybe a little less like i guess yeah maybe they're naturally pitted against each other but they seem to like work together a little bit more than some other stories um, it's un- it's unclear yeah but but <laughs> definitely discovery of witches they're like yeah enemies okay <laughs> Okay, and then we talked about how they're unchanging, so Twilight really fucked that up, because, like, there are other ones, though. Like, is Twilight the only one where it's, like, you basically just, like, get hotter when you become a vampire? (laughs) Actually, no. (laughs) I I wish, but no. Um, 
I actually suspect that particular variation coming out of Twilight comes from Interview with the Vampire. Um, oh, Anne Rice's work. Okay. Yeah. Anne Rice did not necessarily set up her vampires as getting hotter after they died, <laughs> but she does. She does have this description that their transformation makes them perfect. Like they still look like themselves. Yeah. But they're unblemished. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm assuming, and obviously I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that Twilight took it from there. <laughs> Considering that uh, uh, Interview with the Vampire, I mean, the book comes out in 1975, and then the movie yeah. was, what, 91, 92? Something like that, yeah. And I, I'm, like, pretty sure that Stephanie Meyer has, like, said that she was a fan. It's unclear, though. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, my guess is that she probably took that particular aspect from mm -hmm. Interview with the Vampire. Gotcha. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, but like I mean, it's all sort of related to like, uh, like even the like Dracula and stuff. Like it's supposed to be some like they're supposed to be alluring or whatever. Or like I don't know, pulling yes. women over uh, to the dark I mean, that's, side. <laughs> that's definitely an aspect that comes in in Bram Stoker's Dracula that never leaves. Yeah, um, is that the the kind of this idea of the vampire gentleman is that he is supposed to be alluring because you want to be corrupted by him <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean and obviously for a lot of people in the modern era the answer is like why yes i would Thank yes you. i would like to be <laughs> in the victorian era that was a warning like it yeah. was supposed to be he lures in these innocent girls to their death yeah. via sexuality yeah. And to the Victorians, this is terrifying. Whereas right. obviously to you know to most of us in 2021, it's like, you know what? It's better than what I got going. So <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine if a mysterious immortal vampire comes and like sweeps me away. It's okay. Uh <laughs> sorry, Paige. Um <laughs> and that's uh, definitely an aspect I think I noted that happens in the 80s. Yeah, uh, like once I swapped over from there's a really stark division in 70s vampire films between 80s vampire films mm -hmm. and 70s vampire films like this is hammer horror kind of a thing like these are blood and monster and yeah. you know Christopher Lee and so on and so forth and then we sort of hit the 80s and everyone's like you know what I'm kind of down with that actually <laughs> this is okay with me <laughs> yeah mostly okay maybe like it's such some of it's just bullshit though like because it's like the you know they talk about the and i it, like obviously like yes the the victorians are using this as like a warning of like here's what happens if you're impure or whatever but it's like i mean they were still people they had the same like urges and desires and of modern people but yeah, of anyway. course they did. But it would still be, like, remarkably funny to, like, make a Victorian person sit down and, like, watch True Blood or something. <laughs> they would probably find it incredibly shocking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Not I to say that they wouldn't like it, but they would find it shocking. <laughs> That's my point, is, like, you, you like it a little bit. Like, don't lie. Um. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, okay, Paige, do you have anything else that you wanted to chit-chat about before we force Holly to talk about Twilight? No, I think it's I think it's probably good that we we 
start jumping into some of these. Um, and we yes. have like so we have like all of the characteristics of the vampires. <laughs> oh, no. okay. But we probably won't hit every single one of them. No, no, so, no. Yeah, lucky for I you. was like, I don't want this to be like poor Holly. Like, oh, we're gonna put you on a quiz show. Tell us where that comes from. Um, <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> it's fine. Um, okay, but we chose three of our favorite pop culture vampires <laughs> to really focus on. Would we say sure. that are their favorites? Okay, Paige? so I would probably say that yes, they're three of our favorite. But as you have all heard, we've not really seen or read a whole lot. Of vampire stories at this point so like probably really <laughs> it's like the three that we know the most about <laughs> yeah we we have not seen some of the more literary highbrow we don't know <laughs> we're down here <laughs> with the commoners um <laughs> to be fair i have seen uh both versions of let the right one in so i feel like i get a little bit of credit for that and i will not apologize for loving what we do in the shadows oh that is an amazing amazing series and movie yes i love it i haven't seen him yeah Paige hasn't seen him so Paige is <laughs> oh no in trouble. okay you have to start with what we do in the shadows it's yeah it's probably my favorite one going <laughs> Well, my husband loves it, so I don't really know why we ha he hasn't made me watch it yet, to be honest with you. Yeah, but. it's like, we'll it's absolutely dumb that he just hasn't made you watch it because <laughs> you're going to think it's so funny. Like, I tell Steve, so we've, I've seen the movie several times <laughs> I've watched the show and I've like told my husband, like, it's like one of those movies that like, if someone was like, what is your sense of humor? I'd be like, just go watch this movie. That's it. <laughs> That's and if you get the chance, it. see the series as well. Yes. Yeah. The oh, series I've, is... I've watched the first season of it. We haven't, we have the second season like saved on Hulu. I just haven't watched it yet. I've heard not great things about the series. Um, That's absolutely wrong. That, that is hilarious. wrong. Whoever says wrong. <laughs> Objectively False. wrong. <laughs> uh, Holly's the expert. Who has seen like 400 vampire movies <laughs> spanning a century. Yeah, yeah I'll take your word for it. <laughs> is that the official number? So it's 20 per decade, which is what? Yeah. What's the total number of vampire movies that you've seen? Just for this chapter or that I have seen? <laughs> maybe just for this chapter i mean unless you think you can add them all up <laughs> yeah uh just for this chapter i think my filmography was let's see here 280 something oh. so just a couple <laughs> well you've seen a couple of them <laughs> uh although they sort of like frequently will come out with those like oh Netflix wants you to sit in a dark room and watch Netflix for 48 hours straight like and they'll pay you a thousand dollars like will you do it it's like yeah yes, okay <laughs> correct um <laughs> so we have picked out three but we both Paige and I went through a period when we were super in twilight Paige was like in high school slash early college, so it's less embarrassing for her because I was like fully in grad school. <laughs> and, uh, and I was forced to watch it while writing this chapter. 
Anyway, um, and then <laughs> we also want to talk about um, Discovery of Witches, which are you familiar with that, Holly? I am not, unfortunately. <sighs> okay. That's like, it's good. Okay. It's mature Twilight, though. <laughs> Basically. Like, let's just be real about what it is. Okay. Like, are you familiar with Outlander? <laughs> oh, vaguely. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it's about, but I okay. haven't watched any more than the first episode. I, I was going to say that Discovery of Witches is like if Outlander and Twilight had a baby, but like more mature than Twilight. <laughs> anyway, I, I think it's I worth it. I don't to know read if I can it, stand but... the flashbacks, honestly. Oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, would you say, like, are you still watching new vampire stuff now? Or are you just like, no, no, I'm never doing vampire stuff ever again? Oh, no, I, st- I actually still keep up with it. Um, so I'm actually watching The Strain right now. <gasps> oh, I only saw a part of the first season of that and then didn't keep going. But is it worth it? <laughs> I'm only two episodes in, so I don't know. But I, I actually do still kind of routinely watch vampire movies when they do come out i'm really selective about my vampire media however okay. like i won't watch anything because i don't know if i can take it but <laughs> if it's if it's really good i i absolutely will still watch it okay i f- i feel a lot of it's too much pressure it's too much pressure for me to tell you to watch discovery of witches it's like a it's a show now like they've made the books into a show and like it actually is quite good but if you didn't get into outlander then like i feel skeptical anyway that's number two (laughs) we'll see we'll see what happens great and the third thing the third vampire pop culture vampires that we pulled were the true blood ones because we watched a lot of true blood pages finished it i never made it all the way yeah don't Don't watch any further than you've watched. It it goes off the rails. So yeah. it's gets so weird. Okay. Don't do it. Yeah. But Holly, have you watched True Blood? So my experience with True Blood um, oh, no. was kind of the same thing. I had a friend of mine who made me watch the first season. Okay. And it it was fine. And then I was like, oh, so maybe I should probably keep going. She was like, no. No, you you stop now. It stops now. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it, what season does it really go off the rails, Paige? Uh, I think I think it's good through season three, and then I think at that point you might as well just stop. Yeah. Um, but there's okay. like like six seasons or something, isn't there? Yes. There, yeah. There's like six or seven. It went pretty far. Yeah. It goes it, 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 too far. <laughs> Way too far. <laughs> so I, anyway. I know enough about it, like up through season one. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's yeah. That's really that's all you need to get you. <laughs> and every response I got was like, "Okay, you stop now." So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was okay. Okay, we'll talk about it when we talk about it. We're going to start with Twilight. We're super excited. We're going to get um, your favorite one out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like full full disclosure. <laughs> I've read all the books. I own but have not read yet the like new one that just came out. <laughs> yeah, and I still have to buy it. <laughs> I like still regularly watch the movies. <laughs> 
<laughs> for fun. <laughs> They're kind of one of those like guilty pleasure. Like I don't have to think about this. I just to just watch it. It's fine. <laughs> um, but Twilight is like a good starting point, though, to talk about. And you kind of touched on this before. Just like so much of vampire fiction is just sort of like men being sort of shitty but they're like romantic <laughs> about it so <laughs> so we're like this is great <laughs> yeah but like I, yeah so like twilight definitely suffers from that like yeah if it like weren't you know vampires exist blah 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 we'd be like mm, all the men in bella's life are like sort of abusive or like not great yeah (laughs) not great she doesn't have a lot of agency which yeah like i'm sure comes from just like how vampires have been that it's like i don't know impressionable young women who are like getting sucked in or whatever so i don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that (laughs) i mean i don't know how far you want me to dig into it but there's also the aspects of twilight you can't really separate from their mormon theology yes yes a lot of the way that the twilight vampires are framed which i still actually think fits more or less with my argument is that they're about the things that young women are not supposed to do yeah but edward is also framed as this hyper authoritative character as most of the men in bella's life are (laughs) not shockingly and yeah. kind of borderline abusive in <laughs> in sort of many of the things that they do. Yeah. But the arc of the story is very much linked up with this idea of she redeems him through marriage or is supposed to redeem him through marriage, which doesn't really go quite so well <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> but the vampires here really do still represent this idea of fighting against this kind of internalized corruption of the sort of monster within theme well yeah and that's like the whole i mean that's a big theme in the book which like gets a little exhausting he's like oh i don't think that i have a soul or whatever i don't know it's whatever um (laughs) i'm so fucking rude um (laughs) but yeah but it is like interesting that i mean you can like you can tell that that stephanie meyer is is mormon because it's like a lot of other pop culture vampires are like it's all about like sex and like all the stuff that you shouldn't be doing and it's like twilight is like oh they're supposed to be very or he like edward is is you know very pure and like is a virgin and like doesn't want to do all these things or whatever but and it like makes the same point though (laughs) (laughs) it it does it's going for the same problem it's different but it's not um (laughs) uh okay does any of the stuff like okay they're like physical characteristics do any of those go back to like older stories like stuff like oh you have to rip off their head and burn them to kill them or they are cold-blooded yeah and before you answer that sorry holly i actually have a question just about death in general for vampires because every story has like something a little different like this is the ripping off of the head and burning um i think for true blood it was i know we'll get there but true true blood staking which is i think the thing that i always thought was most common vampire stories i mean there's my my answer is going to be a bit layered in this one um 
because actually these things don't all come from the same time. Mm -hmm. The staking through the heart is something that comes out of the Middle Ages, um, which was related to pinning them to the bottom of their coffin. Oh, okay. okay. So you would actually hammer a stake through their chest to nail them to the bottom of their coffins so that they couldn't sit up. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other most common ways was to behead them and to destroy the head. Okay. Oh. So a lot of it had to do with where you thought the seat of life was. So was the seat sort of where was the seat of the soul? If the seat oh. of the soul was in the brain, you had to destroy their head. If it was in the heart, you had to you know, stake them through the chest. Burning was something that really came up during the plague. Um, so dragging the body out and burning it finally was this association with cleansing by fire, which was something pretty big in medieval Christianity. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can see the parallels with the witch stories and the witch yeah. panics, but also it had the effect of destroying a plague-infested body. Mm -hmm. And so the modern vampire kind of picked up a conglomeration of these mm -hmm. and it became, you can stake them through the heart, you can behead them, you can set them on fire. Okay. So it's basically just like, here's how, <laughs> here's the various ways in which people like tried to deal with uh, people slash corpses that they thought might be vampires in the past. So the, yeah. So the idea behind it is generally... Earlier vampires only had one method by which you could destroy them. So it was mm -hmm. not all of them at once. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of the later literary vampire that kind of picks up this plethora of methods. <laughs> yeah, depend, <laughs> depends on which vampire universe you're in. <laughs> what it, it you have to do. Like, there are some that fo focus more on staking through the heart, and then there are mm -hmm. some that focus more on burning. But mostly these are all a variety of medieval methods for dealing with corpses suspected to be vampiric. Got it. The other thing I think, I don't know, it bugs me a little bit about the Twilight series. And because I've not, you know, read a bunch of vampire stories, it, it may be... In other ones, too, I just don't know it. But in, I think, a lot of stories and these other two that we were going to talk about, to, I guess, like, be a maker, to create a new vampire, you have to drain a person of their blood and then basically replace it with your own, which I guess then would make it seem like your... The vampire's blood is kind of what gives you the power. But then in Twilight, it's like they're like snakes. <laughs> or like spiders. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Oh, I love I this why. question. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm so happy somebody asked this kind of question. Um, because, like, this is, a, I'm trying to think of, like, a vaguely diplomatic way of framing all of this. Um, We're not diplomatic. <laughs> We're just not. Um, the, the very early forms of the vampire is, is sort of interesting in this respect because in, like, the Greco-Roman world, vampires could not make their own so you were you turned into a vampire because of something was wrong with you like okay. you were corrupted you were tainted you were therefore the one who was in danger of of becoming vampiric mm -hmm. it's not until much later in the middle ages when we get this concept of the vampiric bite so mm. the early version of this is very plague-like so it's, it's coming out of that era of the of the middle ages yeah where you could be turned into a vampire by being bitten by one okay, okay. so there was a lot of fear about you know if the vampire sneaks into your house at night and bites you and turns you into a vampire 
And this was doubly terrifying because it now meant that you could be innocent and be corrupted. So the vampire's bite now spread like plague. And it's not until after the Black Death that we start seeing it now takes an exchange of blood between the undead and their victim, (laughs) which now takes on this idea of you can intentionally become corrupted. Oh, So you can sort of see the shift happen of the vampire's bite harms the truly innocent, like the person who does not want to be turned is forcibly turned against their will because they're attacked. And then this shifts into this idea of the exchange of blood where now you have become corrupted because you fell to the sexual wiles of the vampire. You were seduced into it. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, That's like a pretty common trope too. Like even in, you know, in Twilight and True Blood, maybe a little bit in Discovery of Witches, like, but you have characters who like, you know, have been made into a vampire some like i don't know more or less against their will but it's like yeah they they're like big issues with like not having agency like in that decision and everything so so yeah i mean and because the i mean the metaphor of the vampiric kiss and so on and so forth is so heavily Mm -hmm. sexualized Mm -hmm. by the victorian era and afterwards there really does become a synonymous metaphor going on between vampiric turning and rape yeah yeah right yeah like the idea of of consent and all that stuff yeah goodness gracious (laughs) i only laugh because it's like oh that's terrible Um, (laughs) fake smile hiding real tears yes right (laughs) (laughs) but it's like i mean yeah it's just fascinating how people take like here are the things that we're afraid of here are the things that we're worried about yeah i mean things like uh, some sort of like being sexually violated or like you know death or disease or whatever and like turn it into this like mythological character that represents all these things but like i again feel like the vampire is particularly interesting because it's like it's a it's a funny one to talk about on this podcast a little bit because like i feel like a lot of times we have like here's an actual real life explanation or like here's an actual real life animal or something that exists that like could be this creature or like could cause this phenomena and it's like <laughs> vampires are just like I don't know. Here's all the fucked up shit that we do to each other, like, <laughs> or that we're worried about we're going to do to each other. And like, <laughs> and these that's represent part it. Of the, the argument that I make is, you know, are there real world analogs to some of these things? Yeah, right. sure, there are. Okay. Um, and they certainly probably influenced a variety of different forms that the vampire goes on to take. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a cultural anthropologist. So. What I tend to focus more on is that's only part of the story that Mm -hmm. the vampire really goes on to embody so much more than just, is this an actual thing that people think is actually stalking them? Um, Right. (laughs) Because part of the answer is no, not really. But yes, they do think the vampire is real. Okay. I know it's a little ambiguous. (laughs) um, Yeah. But I think a good kind of another example of that is when I got to the vampire filmography of the 90s, Mm -hmm. that is a moment where 
in for the vampire as a figure, the vampire also becomes queer. Yeah. Which is mid-gay panic, mid-AIDS mm-hmm. crisis. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the vampire quite literally comes to embody AIDS. Well, and especially the involvement of, yeah, like blood and stuff. And you're talking about, um, yeah. like And the idea pathogen. of a male vampire inflicting this sexual kiss on a member of the same sex and infecting mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So my point to what Megan was getting at is that even sort of this queerified vampire of the 90s is speaking to something quite real that's going on in the world. But, yes. you know, do people actually think that gay men are vampires in the 90s? <laughs> you know, no, not literally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, somebody out there does. <laughs> oh, I'm sure some people do somewhere. <laughs> Somewhere that's a thing. Uh, Okay, so the other thing, we are going to move off Twilight so soon. Um, (laughs) But a couple (laughs) other things. So Bella gets, which maybe you didn't make it this far into your uh, Twilight experience, Holly, but Bella gets pregnant at some point, which like... Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I made it that far. That scientifically doesn't make any sense but um <laughs> but like isn't that the um like the incubus myth thing not really no um, i thought they like impregnated people am i what am i thinking of <laughs> they, actually they generally don't um okay. that's that's a feature of vampires of asia oh which one of one of my one of my thoughts behind that is that is not generally a feature of vampires until you start talking about anime. Okay. Okay. So there's a possibility that Stephanie Meyer, in this case, could have been influenced by anime. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I, don't, I don't know what her media diet looks like. <laughs> so but, what you're saying is we have strong evidence that Stephanie Meyer watches anime, which is fine, but, you know, I say unexpected. It's strong evidence, but right. <laughs> um, But the concept of vampires being able to impregnate people um, or to have children is something that is much more common among the Asian conceptualization of vampires than than the Euro-American world. Because usually in the Euro-American concept, the vampire is dead. Like, yes, they, they cannot <laughs> produce children because they are dead. Yeah. Um, whereas Asian vampires are cursed. Yeah. Versus being dead. Yeah. Also, um, side note, because I forgot to say it. Well, sort of side note, where I like definitely thought you were going when we started talking about like, how do you make a vampire? And like, how do you... um that some of it's like oh you just get bitten and then it it morphs into now you have to have some sort of like exchange i like a hundred percent thought you were gonna be like yeah they're just substituting blood for sperm (laughs) in in a respect they are yeah (laughs) that's that that is basically how it works Like it because like yeah I mean obviously whatever I I don't know what I'm gonna say I'm not gonna say anything intelligent so I'm just not gonna say anything at all but <laughs> that's definitely <laughs> where I thought you were gonna go with that um okay so there's also in the Twilight world this like connection with like Native American uh folklore for better or for worse which I'm for sure worse. Is- problematic yeah in some way (laughs) are there or do you know like are there any 
uh like native american legends like that that would be akin to like what we would think of as a vampire not that i'm aware of um or at least not that were adopted from elsewhere okay got it and then okay and then the other thing about twilight and like that is also a thing in true blood is that they like pit vampires against like wolves in twilight but like oh yeah vampire versus werewolf is a is a favorite of the horror genre yeah is that just like a is that just like a a you know just like a thing or like does that come from anything like why why (laughs) they're (laughs) well in the middle ages they're not associated with one another generally speaking werewolves have a very different background in valence than vampires do yeah um it probably is something that's more like a product of the horror genre in general. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the horror genre very much likes to pit monsters against one another. I mean, there's like well, Dracula yeah. versus Frankenstein and <laughs> the, all this sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Where we get this idea of vampires and werewolves as being kind of like natural enemies uh-huh. probably has more to do with the evolution of the werewolf as a more sympathetic figure. Okay. So... Originally, the werewolf was, again, a kind of warning figure about losing one's humanity to an animalistic nature. Mm -hmm. That's really what the werewolf is. Mm -hmm. So eventually, when we start talking about people who are like, you know what? Getting closer to nature by turning into a giant wolf sounds pretty decent to me. (laughs) And start to actually identify (laughs) with that kind of figure uh, rather than as a figure of danger. Uh huh. Pitting them against the vampire sort of just makes horror sense at that. Okay. Rate. Although, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's like the way in which you like you become a werewolf, like because you get bit, and like I don't know, it's just it's similar, but it's the same, but it's, it's different. Same idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Paige, should we? move forward i don't know we've kind of been all over the place pop culture wise and that's fine we're just yeah (laughs) yeah we've already covered quite a bit i think from each section the one thing i want to the one comment i want to make about twilight because it's always (laughs) cracked me up (laughs) and you may not like this holly but it's always cracked me up because people make i mean and i do too we all make fun of the story um but like specifically we make fun of edward and like make fun of like the sparkling skin and all this stuff and it's like literally of all, at least of all the vampire stories I've read, which we've learned today is not very many, um, <laughs> he is like one of the more powerful vampires and like is pretty much impossible to kill and is like super strong and fast. And I don't, it just cracks me up that everyone makes fun of him. And yet he is like, I don't know, he, he's just, he just seems like one of the most powerful ones. So it feels like somebody out there should be sticking up for Edward. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> That's all I have I, to say about it. <laughs> I think the usual criticism I've run across in that is all of what you just said is true. And the best he could do was go back to high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that too. Is like, seriously, you guys, you have like a lifetime to like, I don't know, do something great. And you're like, like do whatever go to high you school. want. And what you decide to do is go to high school AP bio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. Like, <laughs> like high school girls are like fucking insufferable. So like... <laughs> Come on, man. 
<laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry to any high schoolers listening to this podcast, but I was a brat when I was in high school. So, <laughs> uh, okay, so we've covered some of the stuff about discovery of witches, but a, a couple things that I wanted to make sure that we touched on, I guess, and like get thoughts on, I guess. Um, So it's funny that we were just talking about sort of like pitting werewolves versus vampires because in Discovery of Witches, I don't think there are werewolves in this like little magical creature universe. I don't think so. Um, But they talk about like for vampires, like almost as like their family structure is like a wolf pack like family structure. <laughs> like they choose like a lifelong mate and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's just like a weird take on it that is Yeah, that is a more like werewolfy take. Um, right. Mostly <laughs> in most classic vampire stories, the vampire is solitary. Yeah, no, this is like they're like uh they're like a, a family unit with like a pack like structure. So so yeah. <laughs> So they're doing it different. Uh, One thing that I wanted to ask for sure was, okay, so Twilight Carlisle is is a doctor and a discovery of which is the main vampire character is a doctor. Is there like anything that, like have any of the previous ones been in your vast knowledge of (laughs) vampire (laughs) fiction and movies? Is that like a thing for a reason? Like other than like um, easy it access is to a blood? Thing. Now that I think about it, like there's a number of vampire movies in the 70s, 80s and into the 90s where the vampire is actually a doctor. Uh-huh. Um, but in those cases, they tend to play it as this codes him as a good person. Like he's a doctor. He wants to help people. Therefore, he's not the villain. Yeah, um, he- he's good. Yeah, And it also simultaneously gives him access to blood without killing people. Yes. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I would say, like, for Carlisle and Twilight. And, like, to some extent to Matthew and Discovery of Witches. But, for example, like, Only Lovers Left Alive plays on this trope a little bit. Okay. Um, Adam, who's the protagonist, who is the vampire, mm-hmm. isn't a doctor, but he pays a doctor to give him blood bags. Okay. Okay. And it's, again, especially for the purpose of not killing actual people. Got it. Do any of the, I guess, folklore or, like, okay. So vampires are always like, oh, it's very top secret and, like, nobody can know about us. And, you know, some of them, it's like they're hiding in plain sight or whatever. So discovery of witches, vampires eat food. Like, is that, like... Yeah, like some some are like everybody knows you're a vampire. It's very obvious, but like <laughs> they they do in Twilight too. Um, they? they don't do it for new. Like they don't do it. Like they don't get any nutritional value or from it. But like I <laughs> I have read that so which I don't remember this. Supposedly, like the Twilight vampire vampires would eat or they eat and then like hack it back up gross so that way it looks like they <laughs> like, like fit in yeah but that way it looks like they're yeah. like fitting in and same thing okay. with discovery of witches yeah it's usually done as a kind of trope of they pretend to eat like mm-hmm. they don't actually get anything out of it but they can you know choke it down if they have to 
So I have a question about that, though. Like if they're and this is I mean, not that I expect necessarily anyone to have an answer for it. It's just <laughs> something that's always annoyed me is like if they're not gaining anything from the food they're drinking, food they're drinking, the food that they're eating, <laughs> then like why are they able to get drunk? Because like all the vampires can drink alcohol and get drunk. And I've never understood it. They address this in Discovery of Witches. They say have I gotten that far? Um, no, but it's not going to spoil anything. And I think they talked about it earlier um, (laughs) that he can like drink wine and like enjoy it, I guess, for the flavor or whatever. But he can only get drunk or like be exposed to the effect of medicines if it's in the blood of somebody's blood that he drinks. Yeah, that's something that was also done pretty heavily in. I don't know how familiar you are with Vampire the Masquerade, the role playing game. No. No. (laughs) So, yes, one of the big pop culture movements for vampires happens in the early 90s with the advent of the World of Darkness role-playing campaign and the publication of Vampire the Masquerade, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a vampire-specific role-playing game. Mm -hmm. And that sort of that game setting dealt with it the same way is Mm -hmm. if the person the vampire was feeding on was intoxicated or under the influence of medication, the vampire would be two. But that would be the only way that was possible. Actually ingesting it themselves did nothing. Okay. Well, I feel a little better then. (laughs) I either haven't read that or I just forgot about it, but it makes me feel better because it's it's been driving me crazy. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like I've not been able to let it go. <laughs> yeah, it makes more sense. It's all fine now. It's all fine. <laughs> well, I feel like that's all everything I was dying to address about Discovery of Witches. Do you want to move on, Paige? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do True Blood. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So True Blood, which Harley has only seen one season. I've seen four. Maybe? I don't know. Paige has seen the whole thing. She was committed. Um, (laughs) True Blood's more like, I don't know. Like, to me, they're more like, they're like vampire vampires. Like, they're not, they're not the sparkly vampires. They're more just like, they're a little scarier, you know? Yeah, I mean, sort of. Yeah. I don't. Know. I would. I would. I would say they're more vampires than Twilight vampires are vampires. I mean, there's more like horror to it for sure. Like there's yeah. a lot of blood and and all that, which is and there's know. way more sex and like <laughs> they. Yeah, I, I I would agree with you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was. This was like True Blood was like the first of the like high budget like cable TV shows like you know HBO or whatever channel it was on. Um, that I really watched. So it's like, it's a little bit of a special place in my heart. Um, <laughs> despite being very campy. <laughs> I would agree with that. It, it was like the first real, I mean, I don't know if I'd say it's a really, really good show, but like watching it was like the first like really good show that I had watched. <laughs> <laughs> Holly's like, uh, you guys are terrible. (laughs) I to be hey, to be fair, I'm pretty sure True Blood came out when I was still in high school. So (laughs) So this is like way more acceptable for you. Um (laughs) I maybe have terrible taste. Uh okay. But I mean, first and foremost, like it's like pretty obvious that True Blood represents like the the acceptance of the LGBTQ plus community, right? Well, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely representative of the kinds of 
queer representation that particularly like HBO and paid streaming services were more willing to engage in. Mm -hmm. And obviously this is not the first time the vampire has ever been queer coded. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that's something that has really hung on in the vampire mythos really heavily since the nineties. Yeah. I guess I was just saying it in terms of like, like a lot of the, cause there's a lot in that show about like religious people being against them and like, you know, thinking that they're evil and, and, uh, associated with the devil and stuff but like a lot of the language that they use is like very similar to what you hear as like being discriminatory towards towards the uh, queer community sure. um yeah and like I think they call it like oh they came out of the coffin or whatever rather than you know <laughs> so they're being really overt with it so they're like being pretty overt about it so (laughs) i guess my point is like that show comes around a time when like i mean it's like early 2010s right yeah yeah i mean like to me i guess like it comes at a time where i felt like a lot of that stuff like just got a lot more open and like we're all yeah i mean this is roughly around the same time that you know the united states is dealing with the marriage equality debate and we're seeing more trans visibility. So yeah. it it's actually not surprising kind of once again that the vampire is going to take on that fear mm-hmm. much as the same way they had before. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's a silly campy show with like a bunch of ridiculous soap opera stuff in it. But it's <laughs> just <laughs> but it's just interesting that like, yeah, like you said that like throughout all this history for like the past, I don't know, thousand, two thousand, whatever. <laughs> years, two thousand like, years at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like had this this like pretty important role in like what is happening in society. So good job vampires <laughs> i mean and that's that's part of why i ended up writing the chapter that i did yeah was yes you can look back at sort of the history of all these vampires and yes they're all sort of very different mm-hmm. but they're different in the same way um, yeah right. and, and that's ultimately what my argument was about is that what's changing is their context and not really the vampire themselves yeah right vampires are awesome and clearly like there's so much vampire fiction that i really need to catch up on (laughs) (laughs) yes apparently you do (laughs) i'm sorry i thought i felt so good i was like i feel like i've seen a good number of vampire things like this is great and it's like no i've just seen like the garbage vampires (laughs) um (laughs) except for what we do in the shadows and leather i went in is legitimately very good um, hey, if you ever want to take six weeks of your life and uh, <laughs> absolutely waste it on 280 <laughs> vampire films, you have I've got a list. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. That could be like an entire podcast in itself. <laughs> like we watch every vampire <laughs> movie on Holly's <laughs> list. Okay, Holly, do you feel like there's anything vampire pop culture related that you are dying to discuss (laughs) (laughs) that we have not talked about yet (laughs) um not specifically Uh, i think i think maybe one of the last things i'd mentioned that i really particularly find fascinating about the modern vampire mythos Mm -hmm. is really it's something that tends to be associated with teenagers Um, okay yeah like 
most of the time when people think about vampires, like they they think about like the goth teenager and and so <laughs> and so forth. Yeah. And one of the things I think I pointed out at one of the last talks I did is that in fact the vast majority of vampire fans or fans of like vampire film are uh-huh. not teenagers. <laughs> um, that yeah. They really are a genre that I think gets associated with kind of the disaffected youth. Sure. But they're really associated with disaffected middle age. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was like a whole thing, though. It was like yeah, like middle-aged women like getting super obsessed with Twilight and stuff. And it's like, oh, no teenagers but it's fine (laughs) like even I was like borderline too old for it Um, but I think it speaks to something about vampires really I mean yeah we can sort of say like oh vampires are for kids I would actually say they're not like they're more about terror of corruption terror of mortality Uh terror of failure like these are not kinds of things like young teenagers really worry about so much but really <laughs> hopefully yeah. they're not or hopefully they don't <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah but they are the kinds of things that older people think teenagers worry about okay if that makes any sense uh-huh uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so really in in a kind of big way vampires are really like the terror of the older generation <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> this just means that i'm old <laughs> hey, listen. I watched 280 vampire movies today. <laughs> You're dying. <laughs> That's done something to your life expectancy. <laughs> I'm, I'm certain it has at this point. <laughs> just looking at me like, that's just like 10 years of my life gone right yeah. now. <laughs> um, okay, so you said your favorite was, sorry, remind me of the name again. So, oh, so my favorite vampire character? Yes. Uh, right now, if I'm going highbrow, I would have to say it's the character of Adam from Only Lovers Left Alive. <laughs> if I'm going highbrow. If I'm uh, going lowbrow, it's Nandor the Relentless. Yeah. <laughs> from what we do in the shadows. <laughs> uh, well, now I have we... to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of all of the all of the ones that you watched, do you remember like what was the worst one? (laughs) (laughs) Like just atrociously bad? Yes. Yes. Um, There were so many. (laughs) Yeah. And they blend together. Um, (laughs) One, I would say one of like my absolute campy favorites. And it's because it's, it's just awful. Mm-hmm. But it's so much fun to watch. <laughs> was um, it's a vampire movie? I want to say it's from the early eighties, okay. um, and it's called To Die For. Okay. And the reason I fell in love with it is so I think it came out like nineteen eighty two, nineteen eighty three, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly this mid budget vampire movie that they cast with a bunch of soap opera stars. <laughs> Oh, no. From the early 80s. Like, I don't recognize any of them. I just know that they're all a bunch of soap opera stars. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's this vampire movie, which is supposed to be this, like, highbrow 80s vampire movie, but they're all from soap operas, and they're acting like it's a soap opera. (laughs) And it's just blindingly painful. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, is there a specific decade that seemed to have like significantly better vampire films or significantly worse ones? I, I can't charge any decade with being better or worse. All right. They they all have their like highbrow and lowbrow versions Mm -hmm. um, of these movies. Mm -hmm. I think I have to hand it to the 80s, however, that the 80s came up with such a spectrum of terrible vampire movies. (laughs) (laughs) But they're terrible in completely different ways. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, one of my other favorite ones I'll, I'll make a plug for is another 80s or fantastically 80s vampire movie called The Vampire Journals. It was filmed in Romania. Um, so like they were trying in, in that respect. Yeah. But it's filmed with a bunch of British actors in Romania and <laughs> all of the props are so god awful bad <laughs> that it's distracting <laughs> um, like one of the characters has this sword, like this gigantic long sword, but it's so clearly plastic <laughs> that great. it's hard to get through the scene. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, okay, you just handed this like mid-level Shakespearean actor a Minecraft prop because <laughs> that's what it looks like. <laughs> So ultimately, I'd have to say I'm going to hand it to the 80s that the 1980s came up with the best lineup of really tragic vampire movies. Good to know. (laughs) Good to know. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I guess the one last thought I had where we were like, yeah, because there's so many that we didn't talk about, right? Like, there's like friggin' Sesame Street has a vampire. Oh, yeah. I mean, I talk about it in my chapter. I'm like, there's the count. Like, yeah, count on count. Um, Yeah, Sesame Street has a vampire. There's like Buffy. We talked briefly about Interview with a Vampire. There's Blade. There's... I don't know. There's like, there's a thousand. Like, there are so many vampire stories. There's but so much. I think just about any person out there also, you can kind of tell how old the person is by what vampires <laughs> they remember. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm sure like, yeah, people who are, I don't know, a decade older than us, Paige, would be like more like interview with the vampire people or like maybe Lost Boys. So, yeah, but there's also Lost Boys. So there's, like, Vampire Diaries as a whole show. Like, holy shit, there's so many. Uh (laughs) Now you know why my filmography got as high as it did. Yeah, well, and you were just doing movies. You didn't do shows because there's, like, however many seasons of Vampire Diaries. (laughs) I I had a few shows in there. Okay. Uh, I just didn't cite them the same way because I didn't necessarily watch all of it. Like, I've seen most of Buffy. um, Yeah. That was in there. There were a couple of other series that I watched, um, like from Dust Till Dawn and mm-hmm. like the movie and the, the the series, which was equally terrible. <laughs> but they're they're in there. There's just so many, and like it's it's interesting that you're watching like the strain now because like those are like they're kind of bizarre vampires. They're like I don't know. Well, it's they're- I mean it's it's a good sort of note to to end on that mm-hmm. the vampire is transforming again. Okay. Um, like we're seeing more and more the terrifying monstrosity of the vampire. Okay. Where again the vampire is contagion. Yeah. Not shocking given that we're in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Right. But we're also seeing the return of the inhuman vampire. We're seeing the vampire that no longer even looks human. 
Right. Yeah, because that's those is like they almost went the way of like, um, yeah. The, yeah. To me, it's like they almost went the way of more like being more zombie like because they're like they're pretty messed up. <laughs> and they're also sort of linking it to some degree with things like the Cthulhu mythos. So Ooh. we're seeing the sort of tentacly, <laughs> yeah. gross, slimy kind of creature. Yeah. Yeah. I also, when I was looking up stuff, I'm sorry, I keep thinking of other things. <laughs> no problem. I, like, speaking of that, like, one that was like that, but that came out, you know, like a decade ago, if not more, was I Am Legend. I don't think I realized that those were supposed to be vampires and not zombies. Yeah, they but, are. Yeah. Did you A little bit of a page? post-apocalyptic take on it. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that. Oh, okay. Um, I, I had it in my head that, like, those ones were, um, were zombies or considered zombies, not that they were vampires. Yeah. The... F- First time I watched it, I had the same thought, and then I I rewatched it, and I don't remember who it was with, um, yeah. and and they had talked about them being vampires. They so don't come I, out. I read sun, about so them, that so. would yeah be like <laughs> that would be the kicker. <laughs> okay, well this has been fun. We were maybe a little all over the place, and we had to re-record the first twenty minutes. So sorry, Holly. That's okay. One of these days we'll get it together when we have a guest. <laughs> Maybe once we're two years in. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for joining us and for entertaining us while we ask you all our ridiculous, silly questions about vampires and where the various stories about them come from, because you have a much more intelligent take on it than we ever did. <laughs> so we really well, appreciate now it. now you get to go home and do the reading. That's right. Do you have anything before we do our little sign-off that uh, you wanted to, I guess, re-plug or re-talk about or let people know where they can find you if that's something you want to do or whatever? <laughs> well, I certainly can. You can always come and visit me on my blog, which is peregrinationblog.com. My caveat is that I don't talk about vampires there. I, in <laughs> fact, talk it. about <laughs> sacred fossil ammonites of the Himalayas, which is what my ethnographic work is about. Uh, or you can also come and say hi to me on Twitter at, at Manigarm. Excellent. Yeah, and we'll we'll link to both of those. <laughs> All righty. Well, I think that's that's about it then. Thanks again, like Megan said, for joining us and for, and for sticking with us with some de- <laughs> techn- technical difficulties we had there in the beginning. Well, thank um, you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, spooky people. That wraps up this week's episode. Tune in next time for our discussion on Wendigos. If you like our show, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SpookySciPod, Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookySciencesisters.com. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookySciencesisters at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening and stay spooky. I can't stop. I can't stop. Must follow. Stream October Pod wherever I go. Was you thinking about the show? Oh, please. Please don't start on me now, Rollo. Please. Rollo says smile. Rollo says dance. Rollo says go summon the devil. Edward October presents October Pod, a terrifying spook show. Available now on YouTube and at OctoberPodVHS.com. Octoberpod. Retro horror for bold individualists.
this podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. I'm Eliza, and I need you to listen to me. Have you ever felt so much that you don't know where to put it all? And you wonder if anyone would notice if you screamed. Because you want to. Scream for the ones they've hurt. The ones they've taken. Scream for yourself. These are my words. My story from my perspective. Because I know you'll hear other versions. Because I want you to have a chance to believe mine. Or at least hear it. If you're getting this, it's already over. But if one of you listens, really listens, it won't be for nothing.